0: Welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. My name's Jeff, and I'm joined by the one and only... Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly. Today, we're wrapping up the book of Isaiah. Bill, you've got a oh, little yeah. water bottle there. Yeah. What's in there? Just water. <laughs> I've got um, this thing. It's, uh, it's spindrift, sparkling water, real squeezed fruit. Um, it's got natural flavorings in it. Um, do you know what castorium is? I don't. It doesn't sound natural. Yes. Yeah, so natural flavorings apparently Castorium is included in that. Starbucks uses it in some of their flavorings. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, vanilla extract, fake vanilla. Uh huh. Um, it's it's is, it, it's is it expressed from beavers? Yes, it comes oh, from the, the back end of a beaver. No, and, uh, no, no. And so no. someone has tried to steal my joy <laughs> for drinking non regular water, but this fancy water, and I'm I'm just gonna accept. Except (laughs) beaver. It's
1: natural, I guess. It's
0: natural natural beaver. Natural. Right there. Great. I'm not sure if this has castorium in it or not. It does have natural flavoring, though. Okay. Interesting. Anyways, well, today, we're wrapping up the book of Isaiah, and um, we're covering chapters 40 through 66, Mm -hmm. a ton of stuff in there. I don't think we can just go chapter by chapter like we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. So, what I thought we'd do today is really kind of let's make sure we zero in on some of the big themes. Yeah, and then maybe with a few chapters, we'll kind of zero in on some stuff that really stood out to us. Yeah,
1: I think that's good. good. And as people are reading through Isaiah, just kind of keep in mind it it really it is like an anthology of different. Explain what anthology is. A collection of different. Uh, prophetic words, oracles that he has. And so there's, you know, there's parts of it that you can read and you could just focus in on those, those key chapters. We're going to outline some of those uh, today. And I think that'll be helpful to you.
0: A Good deal. Yeah. All right. So from chapters one to 39, there's been consistent themes of judgment with a little hope sprinkled in every now and again, Mm -hmm. like lots of confrontation, not a lot of hope. Just a little. Just a little hope. <laughs> yeah. Um in chapter 39, Isaiah isn't what's that what's Isaiah anticipating? Judah's exile to Babylon. Yeah. And then in yeah. chapter 40, it's like boom. Yeah. They're in it. Yes. They're in exile. So now um, what what do God's people need in exile? Do they need more judgment? They've been judged. Yeah. They've been warned. They've had yeah. the woes. Yeah. So what do they need now? They need comfort. Comfort. All right. So read chapter 40, verse 1. <laughs> I heard, it says,
1: I heard a bad joke about this one time. Come, come for tea, come for tea, my people. And someone thought that they were, the Lord was, they were just hearing this read and they thought that the Lord was inviting them to come have some tea.
0: Oh, come come for tea? Yes. (laughs) Got it. Terrible.
1: It was terrible. Uh, Anyway, I know, sorry about that. I was like, why are you laughing? 40, no, this is great. This is beautiful. And this is the big, one of the biggest transitions in the book to be aware of when you're reading through, when you go from 39 to 40, This is where he starts to speak to them. Yeah. And uh, so, and he says this, comfort, comfort, my people,
0: says your God. Mm, Yeah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. Um, So now as we get into chapters 40 through 55, we're going to see themes of comfort, deliverance, um, the revelation of God's glory. It's going to explode onto the scene. And we're also going to see this theme of servanthood. Mm -hmm. Um, so in chapter 41, there's an important theme introduced and we need to pay attention to it. So Mm -hmm. read chapter 41, verse eight. Okay. So 41 verse
1: eight, but you Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners saying to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you and not
0: cast you off. Yeah. So in chapter 41, verse eight, who's the servant? In Israel. Israel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the theme of servant has been introduced. It's a major theme in the section and this, this theme of servant, we're going to come back to, all right. right? But the kind of the theme, so we have the servant theme, Yeah. but that leads to the the theme of the servant songs. Yeah. One of the and, most coolest parts of Isaiah are these servant songs. Yeah. So where can you find the servant songs? If someone said, hey, what are the songs? Where can we find them? Great. Yeah. So
1: 42, 1 through 4, 49, 1 through 6, 50, 4 through 11. It all climaxes. In chapter 52, where it goes from verse 13 and then into the next chapter, into chapter 53, verse 12. Yeah. So those are your servant songs. I actually jotted those down, those references at the beginning of Isaiah. So you can always have a quick guide to go find them.
0: That's good. So these the servant theme, the servant songs, and so the first servant song is found in chapter forty two, mm-hmm. and the servant represents someone who sacrificially serves other others. Um, so in forty one, uh, verse eight, who was the who was the servant? It was Israel. Israel. Yeah. Um, but as we get into this servant song, um, we get the benefit of of the New Testament, mm-hmm. and so like we don't have to just try to read the Bible like a Jew. We can read the Bible like a Christian um, mm-hmm. because we, so we want to understand what it meant to them then, which I think is so important to see servant is Israel, but we get the, the context. And so what happens in Matthew chapter 12?
1: Yeah. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually quotes this and, and he says, this is about me.
0: Yeah. It's a little so, shout of Jesus. So, yeah. so, so we look at this, like, we're just like, so Israel's reading this mm-hmm. and they're saying, they're saying like, we are the servant. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus looks at it and goes like, and I'm the greater fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. so, so it's really both. So we're yeah. going to read this as Israel is the servant. So they can read this about themselves. But ultimately we have to say that this is pointing us to, to something Jesus. greater. Yeah. yeah. And so when you get to chapter 53, we'll really Huge. unpack, unpack that. So when someone says, who's the servant, is it Israel? Is it Jesus? Both. Yeah, it's both. Both, yeah. All right. So um so chapter 43 has some some great fear knots. Like do you do you, mm-hmm. do you know how many times the the command fear knots mentioned in the Bible? I heard like 366 times. That's what the, it, I I so I googled it. I heard it? 366 from the Tara Lee Cobble Lady. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I googled it, it said 365. Either way there's one for each day of the year.
1: <laughs> Plus leap year leap year maybe. If it's yeah, maybe. Yeah. So that, either way. So, encouraging
0: that the Lord knows that we need yeah, that every so. day. If you're not, but chapters 44 and 45, um, the next theme that resurfaces in Isaiah, um, is kind of the ridiculousness of idols. Yeah. So Bill, what, why, why are idols so ridiculous? If, if someone said like, Hey, what's, what's, yeah. I, why is Isaiah, what's right. he pointing out and, and he's and here? you
1: got yeah you got to read this with the sarcasm dripping with sarcasm as he talks about you know you go and you cut this tree down and then you're going to make uh you're going to take part of it and make yourself a fire to get warm then you're going to cook some bread and then you're going to make a god and worship that yeah so ridiculous that these idols can do nothing uh for us
0: yeah it's, it reminds me of like you know, every year during the Little League World Series, like there's no sports on in the world, and so I'll turn on the ESPN and and watch it. And you're know, like, and they'll show the dugout, mm-hmm. and it's not uncommon for these kids to make a little like baseball god, and they'll have <laughs> like, like they'll have a baseball and they'll draw a face on it, and they'll uh-huh. they'll kind of pluck out the seams to make some hair, uh-huh. and um, and then like and they'll put it on like a little something like a like a donut that you swing a yeah. bat like put on the bat for weight. Like yeah. They'll put that as the Hold and like they'll and like you'll see them like and this is giving them power to hit home runs, or whatever. And it's like, but at the end of the day, it's like like you know you made that, right? Uh-huh. And like it doesn't have more power than you. You can hit that baseball to the ground. Right. right. Like, and, and so it's it's kinda like, why would you think that something you made had more power than you? Mm. And why would you think something you made had more power mm-hmm. than the real God? Yeah. yeah. So it's the ridiculousness yeah. of idols. Mm. Um so we have and a, a Q&A on the back end of the podcast. Mm-hmm but let's just do a quick teaser. Okay. So, so one of the questions that came in had to do with how Isaiah could know the name Cyrus. So right. as we get to the end of 44 and into 45, it's, it's like Cyrus. Um, and so the question was, is does this lend itself to Isaiah having multiple authors throughout different periods of history? In other words, did someone other than Isaiah write this part of Isaiah after the exile? It's like, wow, mm-hmm. like, how did he know the name Cyrus. Cyrus. Yeah, so, any, any thoughts deal. to that?
1: Big deal. So, how
0: you yeah, well first. So, who is Cyrus? Yeah, Obviously. So he's, so, he's the Persian king that I think he's 150 to 200 years in the future. future. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. He's not even born
1: yet. Right. Right. Um, and then it's, it's interesting. Well, let's talk about some of the different ways that it could come about. And then I want to, I think it's maybe we'll talk about the story about when Cyrus actually read this. I'll, I'll get. I'll get to okay. there in a second. I know, there,
0: I know there's something about Alexander the Great reading yeah. something in Daniel, but is there something about Cyrus reading yes. this? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, then, how about this? I'll tell you a couple options, and okay. you can tell us about Cyrus reading this because I was on. Uh, this is something new for me. Um, so, option one is that Isaiah might have said something like the King of Persia, mm-hmm. um, or maybe like the the bird of prey coming from the east, and yeah. then maybe later edits of Isaiah um, after Cyrus was the fulfillment of that. Um, later edits just connect to the dots and put Cyrus in. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's one option that people have proposed. Another is that Isaiah was written by multiple authors. And Mm -hmm. this part was written after Persia conquered Babylon, which means it was what's known as prophecy after the fact. Mm -hmm. So that means someone later wrote, um, under the kind of the idea of being Isaiah, yeah. um, but wrote after the fact and trying to make it look like this was past when it was actually present. Right. And then option three is that God gave Isaiah foreknowledge of mm-hmm. Cyrus before King Cyrus ever was. Yeah. So I, I, I land on option three mm-hmm. probably could be, probably could be okay with option one. Like I, I if, if I've always presented some good evidence that showed later copies of Isaiah with a different, name there like Mm -hmm. I I would it wouldn't rock me too much I lean against option two personally but um but it doesn't it's not going to affect my fellowship with a Christian if they hold a different position there but yeah
1: it would I would for option two that it was written by multiple authors after the fact it would um I I think it could come across to me it would come across as disingenuous you know that he's not actually seeing these things take place but yeah, that's so, what we talked about last week. Yeah, so, same that's idea. So, tell, tell me about Cyrus. Well, heights. it was the same ice. kind of a similar story that he when he he came and he 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 was he read these prophecies about himself. He's like, what in the world? And it like he was pretty taken aback. Yeah. Uh, when he came across them, so similar. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Isn't that wild?
0: Yeah, so when we get to Daniel, it'll be real crazy when yeah. we talk about that because I know Alexander the Great. Yeah, right. Basically, the high priest read him.
1: Yes. <laughs> Did he have a vision of the? Yeah,
0: so oh, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's so, so cool. Yeah. That's anyways, a part. yeah. So yeah. So all that to say, for the question, like, how could like I I land with the the purpose of Isaiah contrasting these fake idols, mm-hmm. like the, the 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 ones you create with the real God, is that the real God knows the future, and so if if this wasn't recorded until the future, then that would kind of defeat the purpose of God knowing the future, and so um so that's mm-hmm. why I would land with option option three, possibly option one. Mm-hmm. Um. So chapters forty six through forty seven, um, it's just the the gods and pride of Babylon are doomed. Mm-hmm. Then we get to chapter forty eight. Um, we see it. We see that despite Israel's stubborn unbelief, God still pursues His purposes mm-hmm. of redemption. And so for me, like Bill, I I, I love verse sixteen, mm-hmm. and this was a verse for me that like really rocked my world when I was in seminary. Mm. So in verse 16 and um, 48, mm-hmm. it says, draw near to me, hear this from the beginning. I have not spoken in secret. So the question is, is, is who's speaking?
1: Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll be back up to verse 12. Who's, who's yeah, speaking? It's still God. It's God. God. Okay. Yeah. So God speaking it says from that time it came to be, I have been there. So, so who is this? God speaking. Still God. All right. So God speaking. Says, and now the Lord God has sent me. So God's speaking, and he talks about the Lord God sending me. So mm-hmm. God is being sent. So we have a God who is speaking. Right. And a God who is sent. It says the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Mm-hmm. And so this in verse uh, the same person speaking from verse twelve. Mm-hmm. So we get to verse sixteen. We have a God um, who speaks, a God who is sent, and a God who is spirit. spirit. So, so Trinity. the Trinity right present there. in the old Testament. So when we, when we talk about the Trinity and people think like, well, is this just a new Testament concept? Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of many examples in the old Testament of, we see we, us seeing God yeah. three in one. So if you don't have verse 16 underlined in your Bible, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a good proof text for how, how God has expressed himself as Trinity even mm-hmm. in the old Testament. It's good. So. Good. Anything else in those chapters that stand out to you? Uh,
1: you know, he talks about, I'm doing this for my sake over and over again, the Lord, you know, that that's just his glory is the purpose of what he's doing. And, um, and, and isn't it good that God's highest end is his own glory, not ours, (laughs) that we're not the center of the universe that he is and that it's right and it's good. And it's for our good and joy that the most amazing person in the universe is making sure that he stays at the center of it. Yeah.
0: That was one of the hardest concepts for me to grasp when I was, um, early twenties was, is God egotistical? Yeah, just the the hedonism, like <laughs> Christian hedonism, uh-huh. and the pleasures of God, and really like feel like God has to be about Himself, mm-hmm. and uh, and just re- that was just such a hard concept for me to wrestle through. But it really shaped so much of my theology mm-hmm. over about three years of not liking it. Eventually getting to the point of being like, yes, God does this for His sake, for His glory, and that is His number one method of operation because. Anything else would make him idolatrous. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, it's just a- really good. It's yeah.
1: really good when the best is is held up and placed oh, yeah. in the center. So nice. Yeah, so
0: chapter um forty chapters forty nine through fifty two, a mm-hmm. the first half of fifty two, it's the second servant song. Mm-hmm. Right. So so the question is like, is the servant Israel or Jesus? We would say both. Both. And I, and I love um, that what we see is that in verse three the servant is hundred percent Israel. Mm-hmm. But in verse five, the servant is distinguished from Israel. Mm. It's a singular person mm-hmm. who's going to restore Israel. Mm. And so we kind of see that. It's like, so as you're reading this, if you're, if it's just Israel verse five, it's really confusing. Cause it's like, wait, this seems like there's a, a single deliverer. And that's why we can you continue to see like the deliverer being the Holy one yeah. of Israel singular. And in verse six, this singular servant does two things. So, what does the servant do? He restores Israel mm-hmm. and he extends this
1: salvation beyond Israel to the ends of the earth.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's like another theme that we see yes. in Isaiah. Is salvation was never meant just for one right. people group, for one nation. It was yes. always and we see that going all the back all the way back to Genesis. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. So all these servant songs. Shadows of Jesus. Shadows of Jesus. Shadows of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um all right we're about to get into the really good, like the, the climax Mm -hmm. servant song. Any other thoughts on those chapters before we jump into 53, 52, 53. I'm good. So we're doing this. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it. (laughs) All right. So, um, Oh Yeah. I've got one other thing to say. Okay.
1: I got I got one too from
0: chapter 50. Great. Get a second. Yeah. So, well, 52, I love verse seven. How yeah. beautiful upon the mountains are the feet yes. of him who brings good news, right. um, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Mm-hmm. So where do we see that? Cited in the New Testament. Yeah, in Romans 10. Yeah, Romans yeah. 10, 15 with Paul talking about the, the, the need for us to go and preach the gospel. Share the message. Yeah, so what did you, you have for yeah, 50? Was that was good.
1: Okay, so in 50, there's another one of the servant songs. And this, I've always felt so clearly, like this is Jesus singing. Yeah. Wow. Okay, if you got to hear Jesus sing. And, I, and Isaiah, you know, apparently he, he you know had these revelations of Jesus, these visions, and, and John writes about this, that Isaiah saw his glory yeah, and, and so Isaiah six right yeah and uh, and so he's so Isaiah is seeing these you know having getting these pictures of, of Jesus singing, and and in, in verse four it says the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, and it's uh, that are the tongue of a disciple, and I think about what's a disciple yeah is somebody that God is giving he's giving them the words that they would know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. And we talk about, you know, that we want to know God and we want to become like Jesus yeah. and help others do the same. And, and I see like a, a some really in, uh, inspiring moments for what's it look like to live as a disciple, to be like Jesus? Because yeah. the next verse says, morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Mm. And so you see this picture of Jesus getting up in the morning Getting, hearing God speak to him, and it's not only just going to be life-giving to him, but he knows as I go out through the day, I, these words are going to be refreshing yeah. to the weary, to people that I meet. And, and that happens all the time. We know when God speaks to me in, you know, in the morning, and it's life-giving, and then I find later in the day, there ends up somebody that I can share that with, yeah. and it's life-giving for them. So cool moment of Jesus singing, talking about being a disciple, and inspiring us as disciples to be like yeah, him.
0: Yeah, that's good. Thanks for pointing that out. All right, so... Um, the back half of 52 mm-hmm. into chapter 53, it's often known or referred to as the fifth gospel. It's the fourth servant song. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking at this. This is crazy. The, these part, this part of Isaiah uh-huh. is directly quoted or alluded to 85 times in the New Testament.
1: Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. So this is huge. This yeah. is a place to just camp out and read and study.
0: Yeah, and so so we see how God's servant was mm-hmm. pierced for our transgressions, mm-hmm. for our sins, um, and when we read this, it's it's impossible for a Christian to read this and not go, Jesus. Yeah, but we talked about how Israel they would read this and think. Us, uh-huh. we're, we're like, we are the servant. And so I think like, so you definitely can see like for the original audience, mm-hmm. they're thinking like as a nation, we've suffered, there's nothing special about us, mm-hmm. you know, um, that people would look at us and be impressed. Like we're small and insignificant. Other nations have destroyed and rejected us. Mm-hmm. We've been crushed because of our sin, um, but God's going to use us to save others. So like, so we definitely see that, but it's, it still feels so incomplete of what this servant's going to do. That's beyond what Israel is and so and
1: and so specific to what literally happened to Jesus that it's like point by point by point wow this is just a perfect description of of what he did
0: what the crucifixion was I love like Jesus quotes this passage um as he's being betrayed Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Philip the evangelist uses this passage to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ Mm -hmm. um Peter and first Peter um, uses this when he says, "By his wounds we have been healed." Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other things that stood out to you from this passage? Yeah, um,
1: one. Of, this hit me. Uh, the line as you as you keep on. It, well, he says he was pierced for our transgressions in verse five. He was crushed for our iniquities, and uh, and then as you go down in verse ten, it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Yeah, that was just uh, that the the weight of that that it that it was that God did was he that was part of his plan uh, and yeah. that Jesus willingly submitted to it um but what uh, it just is it's so humbling for us to say that the father it was his will to crush him yeah uh and Jesus submitted to that and um and 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 you know too when you think about this and i mean we use the word we use the penal substitution which is a crazy phrase yeah. uh i don't really like the way it sounds but I love what it means yeah. and what it stands for. And um, when I was doing seminary, uh, they got it, one of the first things they had us read was a book called "Pierced for Our Transgressions," yeah. and I think the subtitle is "Recovering the Glory of, of Penal Substitution." Um, but Steve Jeffrey is one of the authors for that. And I think it's it's an incredible book to take you into how that what what we see in Isaiah fifty three is all through Scripture. And how it's really at the it's at the center of what it means for Jesus to have died on the cross
0: for yeah. us. Um, That's huge. And I think it also, as we if we could backtrack and just kind of in a time go back to when we were going through Leviticus and the Day of Atonement. Yes, seeing so much of this, and so you see the lamb. Yeah, you know, going through from from Exodus. I mean, from Isaac mm-hmm. almost getting sacrificed. Yeah, to the the Passover lamb, to the sacrificial system, the Day of Atonement. Yeah. and now towards,
1: and it's it's this wonderful it's the, it's so, it, this theme that that just it melts your heart mm-hmm. when you really think about the significance of it, and I think it's important to address it because there because there are voices you know contemporary voices that are um, calling what this is this is God about divine uh, child abuse yeah um, is the atonement what what's really going on is this is this really central to it and I, and I think yes yes it is and it's it is so rich uh and and transformative to us when we just take time to meditate on on what's hap- what what Jesus did for us yeah
0: the, the when you think about the child divine child abuse um man I, I think that's 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 a fairly common thing i hear um in talking to people that have have walked into like a deconstruction process and are trying mm-hmm. to reconstruct their faith like they've kind of found comfort in that mm-hmm. I think it's it's important to know that one is, is Jesus was a full grown man, um, not a child, and that he willingly went like he knew the cost and he chose mm-hmm. to go. And so, so I don't think the child abuse thing does accuracy to what Scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the big thing is um, I, I think it's hard for us to understand the depth um, or the weight of this type of punishment. Um, it seems so extreme to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, for me, God has really laid it on my, my spirit to understand, like, if I minimize this, I minimize his love. Yeah. And so the bigger I understand the weight of what my sin deserves, mm-hmm. like the, the truth is like that God's love is bigger. Yeah. And so it's so like, I hate to go there and think about the depth of this. Mm-hmm. But then the the only option is to see that God's love is bigger. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to minimize God's love by minimizing his wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's no. good. That's good. What a chapter. And so, read, yeah, read it again and again and again. Like, that's mm-hmm. a, a great thing to come back to. So, so, like I said, so um, descriptive of exactly what Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapters 44 through 55, this, this kind of wraps up um, this section on the, with the servant theme mm-hmm. and we see God's everlasting love and compassion towards his people. Mm-hmm. And some verses that are just really good for me, um, that stood out to me or one is, is verses eight and nine, where it talks about, um, like God's ways are higher than our ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I've probably used that verse out of context a lot <laughs> because, <laughs> okay. because I think like when we think like just God's mysterious, you know, yeah. And the context of it is the way that God saves makes no sense. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. like why would God save rebellious people? Why mm-hmm. would God send his son yeah. to die in our place? Like yeah. his perfect son for sinful people. And, and like as we look at this, like like God's grace is scandalous. God's grace is, is so good. It's yeah. like it's like and so is, and so what we should be thinking is like this that this doesn't make sense. And when we say it, like God says, my ways are higher than your ways. Right. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And so so the context of this is basically just when it comes to salvation, not just God being mysterious, but, yeah. But so anyways, I I I love,
1: yeah. So read it in context. He will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Let the wicked forsake their way because he's going to abundantly pardon. And that's what he's like.
0: And then verse 11 is just, So central for me week in and week out of whenever, whenever I preach Mm -hmm. or whenever we're doing what we're doing now teaching. Right. What does it say?
1: So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which
0: I sent it. Yeah. So just God, God's word's not going to come back void. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else in those chapters before we close this thing out, going into chapter 55 through 66? Yeah, it's good. All right, so after we get through the servant songs, we get the the final big section from fifty-five to sixty-six. And um, and so where the last section was about comfort during the Babylonian exile, this section is about preparing for them to return home. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, after the exile's over, like how do you get ready to come back to Jerusalem, back mm-hmm. to to your homeland? Mm-hmm. Um so fifty-six to fifty-seven, um, you know, we, we kind of we got see, one of my
1: favorite verses in there. What do you got in, in there in 56, uh, verse seven, he says, these, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Yeah. And my, and then it was on to say, my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples, I love that all peoples, all peoples, all peoples. Yeah. everybody's being welcomed in. And he specifically, if you read, you know, go back into the context, he d- he talks about even uh, eunuchs, yeah. uh, that they will be given a special place. Uh, and a name better than sons and daughters um, that the lord 's saying, "Come on in yeah and uh, and I love that, and that 's just what's the what characterizes the house of the Lord, the people of God, is they're, God makes them joyful and they 're about prayer, and they 're welcoming in the nations, whereas you know when Jesus quotes this verse mm-hmm. he 's confronting uh, a religious system that was tyrannizing. Uh, foreigners and people and travelers and was making a buck off of them. And it wasn't about prayer. It wasn't joyful. It wasn't yeah. about, you know, come on in. And so he's, he got mad. He said, no, it's supposed to be this uh, yeah. joy in the house of the Lord.
0: That's good. Yeah. I just share that. Yeah. Um, so chapters 58 through 60, mm-hmm. um, in chapter 58, Isaiah confronts having the wrong motivation for fasting. Mm-hmm. And like this was really good for me because right now, Bill, what are we doing as a church? Yeah, we're doing a 20, 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. Yeah, and so for me, like I was, it was really timely that to read this chapter 58. just to see like, you know, sometimes we can fast almost as if we're trying to force God's hand. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fasting for this, and if I do this, then, then God should. Mm -hmm. reward me or this will come. And it's like at the end of the day, like our, our motivation for fasting should be a changed heart. Yeah. And so, so instead of fasting in hopes of God aligning his will to our will, Mm -hmm. we should fast in hopes of our hearts, Aligning changed. to His will, yeah, yeah, yeah. and
1: and He gets, and, and this is a theme too from through Isaiah. We learned at the beginning where He talks about, I I, I hate all your shows, get yeah. the noise of your worship away from mm-hmm. me, and guys like and cut out this this fasting stuff. You guys are you're doing this, but you know you're you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Yeah. You're giving up food, but you the way you treat each other, yeah. and the way you treat those who are on the margins is it has is, doesn't reflect who I am. Yeah. And so he's he's calling them to you know to the I, he call fasting is really good in that when we do it for the right motive and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6 that don't do it with a to to put on a show. Oh, everybody look at me. Look what I'm doing. But do it for the Father's reward. Yeah. which is him. Yeah. He's the reward and and the, and our transformed hearts are the reward and then we live out of that uh, with what Isaiah says here. So this is a great this is one of the chapters I always read. Uh, during a fast
0: that's good. I think it calls us back that's to that. good so bill have you ever been outside on a full moon yes and you can see stuff right like does the moon is the moon producing light no how's it how' does it get so bright
1: that's a good question there's a there's a giant star at the center of our solar system that's reflecting off of the moon and that's what we see
0: yeah so the so the moon reflects the sun yeah and so that that imagery is really kind of what we see in chapter sixty mm-hmm. that God's making us beautiful, which I love. It's not us cleaning ourselves up, mm-hmm. and it's like God's going to make us beautiful. And mm-hmm. as we do that, like as like He's the sun and we're the moon, we're reflecting off of Him, um, His beauty to the world that we're in. So I, I love that. Yeah, in chapter sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, anything yeah. else in those those yeah th- those three you, chapters? I mean, I'll let
1: you just see that in the opening uh, three verses. That shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen. He will arise upon you. His glory will be seen, then the nations will come to your light. So again, you see that yeah. other that theme, uh, and God's going to say, "I'm, I'm going to make it beautiful."
0: Yeah, and that's really cool. And I love this also on the heels of the servant theme, mm-hmm. um, because there's you know Israel's thinking about how can we be a servant mm-hmm. to to help people know who God is. Mm-hmm. And Jesus in Mark 10:45 says, "The Son of Man came not to be served, but to, to serve." serve. Yeah. um and give his life as ransom for many and so the same way like as Christians like we want to reflect the serpent heart mm-hmm. of Christ for the purpose of helping others come to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So chapter 61 th- this is huge. Yeah. Um which is great. So if you're if you're like you're if you're just cherry pick some passages out of Isaiah to read mm-hmm. you know, you, you probably have Isaiah 6, yeah, 7, yeah. 9, you know, like, 40 Yeah, yeah. And then... 53. um, 53. And so... But 61 61. would be when you definitely want to cherry pick. Yeah. And so... What, hap- what happens in Luke chapter four? I mean, at this point, Luke Luke's moving pretty quick. We've covered mm-hmm. a lot of Jesus's life, even some of his childhood. In mm-hmm. and, and chapter four of Luke, what does he do?
1: So this is where Jesus goes to his home church, synagogue, in his hometown, the synagogue there, and he opens the scroll of Isaiah.
0: And it's it's like literally, it's slowing things down because he's rolling the scroll out. Yeah. And what does he, what does he find?
1: And he goes to this. This chapter, yeah, yeah, and reads Isaiah sixty one to
0: them. So he reads Isaiah sixty one, and then after he reads it, what does he? What does he look at the people and say? Today, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. Yeah, and so I, I love this. And so what's what's crazy is this is this is how God loves justice and loves mercy. Mm-hmm. And so what's crazy is, is we were in the book of Leviticus, we saw God's ideal economy. Which looks like this. Yeah. Now we see it in Isaiah sixty-one. Mm-hmm. We're going to see it in in Micah 5.8. 8 Is it five-eight? Mm-hmm. Um, like, but we see this really reflected in the heart of God. Um, and so, um, ver, like I said, verse eight: For I, the Lord, love justice; I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Mm-hmm. So, from Leviticus to Isaiah to Micah five-eight, we see God calling His people to care for those who are marginalized. Yeah. for those who are oppressed, hurting, in need. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. and and it's in, I'll, and so that's this is near and dear, you know, for us. Uh, Isaiah 61, the Roman numerals are LXI and and one of the ministries that actually emerged from Redeemer and that we're continuing to partner with here in Johnson City, LXI, yeah. is working with urban youth. And I was just on their their website uh, yesterday cuz I was, you know, looking over things and and when you read about their their mission and how God is you know has given this scripture uh, yeah. to to guide with that and and I'm just like man yes this is what the lord's about yeah. uh, in there so
0: so uh, something chapter. that was stirring um, around in my mind as we were going through this cuz you you can't read Isaiah without seeing God's heart for those who are hurting those who are oppressed those who are marginalized mm-hmm. like the whole point of God's spirit pouring out on us is that we would be more generous and caring for others mm-hmm. And so this often lends itself to where people will, will do mercy ministry and say, this is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, the gospel is giving someone a drink when they're thirsty. The gospel is. Mm-hmm. And so I remember hearing that uh, when I was in seminary and, and people really leaning in towards more of a, a justice, a social, gospel. social, social justice gospel. Uh-huh. And so like, so you kind of hear that, the, the saying, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on like it like how do we balance this call yeah for from is mean, you can't it's undeniable that we should be more caring but like the maybe the accusation that the church doesn't care enough um with the with the thought also that um is the gospel uh-huh. taking care of needs uh, Well I think
1: the the way Isaiah and a lot of the prophets their one of their continuous critiques of the people of God is do you care more about yourself than you do others? And so they're always calling them to be merciful, but they, they never do that apart from God. Yeah. You know, we, if, if I'm saying, yeah, the thing we're supposed to do is just, is do good things for other people. That's not the gospel. I mean, that's in a sense is, is like moralism at its worth. Just do good things. That's how you are, are right with God and right with the universe and, and so you, you miss, that's not what it is at all. Yeah. Um, so I think that, but, but when you get the gospel, which is God's, the suffering servant, when that's experienced, that, man, you can't help but care about people. Yeah. And so if you're not caring about people, then I would say you don't have, you haven't really experienced the gospel. Yeah. But when you do experience it,
0: man, it's going to flow out of you. Yeah, so John and First John would say it's, it's a test. Mm-hmm. of authentic faith. Yeah. So if your faith is authentic, you should have a care for those in need. Right. And if you don't have a care for those in need, could it be that God's love hasn't flowed to you? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right. It's not flowing through you. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I, I love that just to, to think through. And what's crazy is, is if you ever want to go down a rabbit trail, there's a story of Billy Graham and John Stott. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're trying to, to preach the gospel to the, to the, every end of the earth mm. to fulfill the great commission. Yeah. And Billy Graham is saying, we've got to preach the gospel. And once we preach it, we got to move on to the next place. Uh-huh. And John Stott was like, but look at these people. Like they don't have housings or they're, they're hungry. Mm. They're, they're thirsty. Like we've got to care for them. And Billy Graham's like, the greatest need is their spiritual need. Mm. And John Stott was like, so, and so they went to a room and basically just hashed it out. Because mm. um, like wow. John Stott basically drew a line in the sand and said I, I can't partner at this point if we're just gonna if we're not gonna care for people's needs mm. and like and it just the idea like could you imagine being a fly on the wall and listening to the John Stott <laughs> and Billy that Graham stuff. work through it but they came out like you know the greatest need mm. is our spiritual need but God still cares about physical needs mm-hmm. and, uh, so I think the, like we we have to realize like the greatest need is communicating the truth of the gospel that we are sinners we have separated ourselves from God. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, yes. rose again, um, and and now offers us everlasting life through through his life, death, and resurrection. So so we wanna we wanna communicate that message, but at the same time, like we absolutely can't miss the point that we do still want to care for people in really practical ways. And that can often be a platform for sharing the gospel. It can be an open yeah, door
1: that, for them, certainly. Yeah, so, so,
0: that's good. Great. So chapters twenty-two through sixty-six, um, God says He's going to give His people a new name. Mm-hmm. What, what were some of those names?
1: Yeah, so He's going to Hephzibah, <laughs> Beulah.
0: So.
1: Uh, that uh, interesting. There's a, there's a Beulah meaning uh, which was uh, to be married, and then my delight is in her. Instead of having the names of forsaken and desolate, yeah. uh, that He gives new names.
0: Yeah, I love it. it's like my delight is in her, the holy people the redeemed of the Lord mm-hmm. sought out a city not forgotten or all names mm. given to Israel. Um, and so the imagery, um, in this is, is God rejoicing over his people like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. Yeah. And so I, Bill, what were you like when Lindsay was coming down that it, aisle? Well, I was crying <laughs>
1: and I was just, I mean, I was just thrilled with, I mean, she was just the girl of my dreams Yeah. and, and I just couldn't believe that this was happening and you just, man, you just, it, then the, the tenderness and the joy, the excitement, all of those things. What an emotion. Yeah. Uh, what a time. And, and as
0: you and, know, it's like, as we get to do weddings, like yeah. we get the best seat in the house. Right. Seeing that, like, yeah. So the imagery of God loving his people, like a bridegroom, Yeah, such a good imagery. And, um, and so I think sometimes we view God as this, like distant and disinterested or angry and wrathful mm. like person. It's like, man, no. Yeah. Like in Christ, God looks at us and he's like, you're my beloved, you're yes. my child, you're my, you're my daughter. My yeah. delight is in her. You're the you're my holy people. You're my redeemed. You're sought out. Right. Um, yeah. You're not forgotten. And like, and mm-hmm. realizing that God is, God is in pursuit of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Good. And, yeah. and it's,
1: I mean, a shadow of Jesus, you know, as the church is called the bride of Christ. Yeah. And so we, we see that bridal language, you know, used in different places throughout the old Testament pointing towards, yeah. towards, what, towards Jesus.
0: Yeah, and then chapters um, sixty five and sixty six mm-hmm. it wrap up the whole book. Really, mm-hmm. I would say sixty three through sixty six. And there's there's two options, mm-hmm. right? Like we can we can humble ourselves and seek God, mm-hmm. and experience His blessings in this new heavens and new earth, mm-hmm. or we can persist in arrogance and experience His judgment. And so, at the end of the day, like there's there's two options for us in relation to, to God's goodness and his love and his grace, mm-hmm. um, his, his woes and his warnings, his comfort and everything in between. We, we can either humble ourselves and experience the blessings to come in this new heaven and new earth, or we can just be like, you know what? I don't think I need God. And i mean, it. The truth is, is we'll experience judgment. if yeah. That's our stance. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they are there. I mean, honestly, when you read it, they're fearful, uh, they're sobering. Um, and, and yet, then you you see the the beauty of what God is wanting to do with making yeah. new heavens and new earth in yeah. there.
0: Um, yeah, so we've seen um, a lot of good stuff in Isaiah, a lot of shadows of Jesus that we kind of unpacked throughout this particular podcast instead of saving it for the end. Mm-hmm. But a couple of the questions that came in this week, and I'm just I'm thankful that questions came in. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, is anybody still with us in uh-huh. reading? And God was like, yes, people are still with <laughs> so, you. So one one question from um, chapter forty five verse twenty five is is all of Israel going to be saved? Like, so Mm -hmm. when we look at, like, they'll all be justified. They'll all be made righteous. Like, Mm -hmm. And so if someone said, Bill, um, I was at a, you know, John Hagee church, and they'd said that all of Israel is going to be in heaven. What what would you say to that?
1: Well, I, I mean, Romans 9, 6 says that not everyone who is ethnically born a Jew is part of God's chosen people. So there is a physical Israel. There's that that are people that are genetically linked, um, and but there is also there's a spiritual Israel that is that describes everyone who is saved through faith in Jesus, uh, and so that's so I, I would say that's your answer.
0: Yeah. So so mm-hmm. not every person who's a descendant of Abraham will be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like right now, historically, in our historical setting, um, that there's very few Jews coming to Christ, but there are some. Mm -hmm. And it it seems to me, um, and reading Romans that before Jesus comes again, we'll probably see mass revival. Yeah. Um, Uh, so there'll be a day we'll see a lot of Jews, but right now it's like a trickle. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's
1: going to be a significant event. I, I, that's how I've always read that. So
0: yeah, but not everyone is part of spiritual Israel. Right. Um, so the other one is like, what do we do with God creating calamity? Mm -hmm. And so like, it, I, I've, we might say things like, you know, God doesn't create evil. Um, he didn't cause evil, that, that he might allow bad things to happen. But we, mm-hmm. like, it, we don't typically say that God caused bad things, but this specifically says that God created calamity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how would you, what do you think about that?
0: So the, what I was looking at, the, the Hebrew word for calamity is, is ra, mm-hmm. um, which means evil, distress, misery, injury, or calamity. Mm -hmm. Um, and in scripture, this, this can be used in two different ways. On one hand, raw can mean moral evil Mm -hmm. like sin. Um, or two, it could mean like a harmful natural disaster. It could mean misfortune. It could mean adversity. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd lean towards, um, this is God using Cyrus Mm -hmm. to create adversity. So creating calamity through Cyrus, um, for the kingdom of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Um, any, yeah, any no, gods? I think that's, yeah,
1: that's, that God uses those things, even though, I mean, Cyrus was not, he didn't, you know, he, he brought a lot of chaos and suffering. Yeah. Um, but that there's, that God uses that.
0: That. Yeah. Um, so this is a long question, Bill. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll read All the, right. I'll on. read it. I just copied and pasted it. Um, Isaiah 46, 10 to 11 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I've spoken, and I will bring, to, bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask about to this question, soteriology, and how you think this verse relates to Soteriology. This also reminds me of Romans 9 and the potter. Isaiah um, also used a lot of potter imagery in the past couple of chapters. Um, I would like to hear y'all's stance on soteriology and okay. how you think it relates to this verse, especially in relation to whether God predestines the elect. And non-elect. Okay, good. So,
1: so, a question about soteriology, which means how you understand the the, the mechanics of salvation. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, if someone's like, definitely a nerdy lot, word for yeah. us that we we get into these kind of words, like soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology, yeah, all theologies.
0: What's what? What are like? If someone just say like, what are the two biggest camps in the soteriology debate?
1: Sure. So, Arminianism and Calvinism are traditionally described as the right, those so, two camps.
0: So these positions long transcend our. The, the Calvin. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I mean, we go back to like all the way back to Augustine or yeah. Augustine, however you pronounce his They're name. They're wrestling with the like same, same concept. God's
1: sovereignty and man's
0: free will. Yeah. The, the big question, like if way oversimplified, obviously, where mm-hmm. is like, do we choose God? Or does God choose us? Mm-hmm. And so for me, like when I look at this verse, like I, I particularly, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I, I really think soteriology or even salvation as I'm looking at this verse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to see this being a foretelling of the coming of Cyrus as the bird of prey. The focus. There. Um, and yeah. so it also shows how God will accomplish his purposes. Yeah. And so I think if, if you believe in irresistible grace, that if God's predestined you, you will be saved, mm-hmm. um, it's irresistible. Then this verse could be used as a proof text because God always accomplishes His purposes. Yeah, and He knows what's going to um, happen. But I, I just I don't think eternal salvation is the primary concern of mm-hmm. Isaiah in this verse. But like, what, what any of the other thoughts on soteriology? Yeah, but does, it, well, well, it's, a good, it?
1: it's a good question. I think, and I think it's great to talk about it and realize, um, you know, I, when I started having these kind of conversations, nineteen years old uh and we had the ugliest conversations and people were just really hurtful and hateful about this kind of yeah. stuff so I, and it really turned me off i became like atheological for probably 10 years after some horrible discussions yeah. um but then came to kind of came back around um, and I've mentioned, you know, one of the theologians that's impacted me is uh, Wayne Grudem. Yeah. And I was recently just reading uh, his. He's got this short little book called Christian Beliefs that's yeah, accessible. 20 basics. Twenty basics, accessible, good theology. But he talks about the that there there is a mystery mm-hmm. in the interplay between the 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 clear teachings of the Bible that God is totally sovereign he knows everything that's going to happen. He's in control. And then there's also, and then also that man, our choices matter. Yeah. And that we have, you know, that we can choose and that there is, and the way that those things interact, there is some mystery to them. Yeah. But you know, I would, you know, I would land with, you know, the, this, the, the doctrines of grace, mm. uh, you know, which are uh, often called Calvinism. Yeah.
0: that's I, The term Calvinism, I feel like it's, it's, been thrown around abused and used that's so like it's really hard because people have so many thoughts when they hear that word mm-hmm. it's like so who knows what someone means yeah by yeah. it so it's like yeah. it's the whole the whole the whole whenever you're talking to someone like you have to define your terms like mm-hmm. what do you mean by that yeah yeah <laughs> you know um and so yeah for for me um one is i, I do think there's a great mystery um our choices absolutely matter mm-hmm. when i was in high school i, I was excelling at physics randomly and, um, and I remember talking to my professor and like, we've had a lot of conversations and, and I'll never forget this. He said, Jeff, do you know what the definition of a paradox is? Yes. And I've, I've not Googled this, um, or looked it up in Webster, but he said, it's something that is seemingly contradictory, but in the end is not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was talking mm-hmm. about physics, but I remember like, I, but I think there's, there's something between God's will and God's sovereignty and and his predestining and our choice that is seemingly contradictory but in the end is not. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, just a, a, what really, what kind of pushed me over the edge. And I would say like when I, when I call people to respond, like I call people to, to make a choice. Yeah. Um, but my confidence is in God. Like, so I don't leave thinking that I do a good enough job. Like, cause uh. I, I truly believe like if God's called them, they will respond. And so my, my trust is in his saving grace, not my ability to, mm-hmm. um, to convince somebody. But for me, the, the question is, is, is what's God's greatest will? Mm-hmm. Like, what's his greatest desire? Yeah. Because there are clear scriptures that show that God desires for all people to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's referred to as Arminian pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, is like, are all people saved? No. Now, some people would say yes, and they'd be, they'd be considered Christian universalist. But um, I theologically can't go there. Mm-hmm. And so I would say no. And so therefore, if God desires for all people to be saved, and they're not the question becomes what's God's greatest desire. Yeah. And so as we've seen throughout all of Isaiah it's his glory. His glory. Yeah. And so I would say God's greatest desire is for his glory. And so then I get to Romans 9 and I would say there's something about some people receiving mercy and some people receiving justice that enables those who receive mercy to to glorify God as He deserves to be glorified. Brings, yeah. Um. I don't fully understand it, but it's about God's glory. Um. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, like I'm like, their God's greatest desire is is His glory above mm-hmm. our free will. Yeah. And um. And so, so I, yeah. Like I said, years of wrestling, and um. And that that's that's so I'd say backed into a corner. That's where I'm gonna stand. Yeah. Um. But I live in the mystery. Right. <laughs> so, right.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah. and I think that I, I think it's important to. I'll appreciate this person sending in this question just to be able to hear our thoughts and have some conversation because that's yeah. one of the best things is like let me hear where you're coming from um, and I think of uh ephesians two ephesians one, and when it says in uh, verse four and then into five, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ and when i when, you know when i when I read that, oh, there's that predestination word, but what comes before it? in love. Yeah. And and you're seeing God's heart through this. This not this cold mechanical logical system that we've yeah. come up with to explain salvation, but that it's actually based in like we, we understand God's great love, his great mercy, and and his his desire for his glory. And that Somehow that's being ex- expressed through election. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so to me that it warms that up yeah, and we, softens that.
0: that. That's that's so, so good to hear. And um, at the end of the day, um, we all we all have to believe in predestination because it's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> the so words in there. Sometimes. So yeah, if people say, "Do you believe in predestination?" Like every Christian has to say, "Yes." Just, well, what do you believe about predestination? Uh-huh. So there's different views you, yeah. you have. Um, um semi plagianism like you right. know, and so if, if you ever want to geek out youtube rc sproul um predestination okay. and uh, it's about a 50 minute and it's i mean it's old he's on a chalkboard uh-huh. he's got his sports coat on his raspy smoky voice and <laughs> and he's unpacks the historical views between the two camps and, and it's it's just such a such a great teaching on okay. the subject Good. so if you want to geek out go listen to rc sproul teach on it nice so. nice well bill that wraps up Isaiah. Woo. Now we're about to start hitting multiple profits yes. <laughs> at the same time. So make sure you look at your reading plan to know what we're reading and mm. we'll be back. Actually, I won't be here next week. I'll be at a cohort. So okay. you got to find a co-host.
1: I will find a co-host.
0: Beware. Look out. Here All right. We, how are we going to so roll? I'll be back in two weeks. she will be back <laughs> next week. Looking forward All to right. it. Sounds good. All right. Signing off.